Welcome to Altar of the Demo Gods. If you're wondering what advice from two experienced sales engineers sounds like, it's a little like this. Welcome back to Alter the Demo Gods. I'm Keith Wilson here with my friend and co-host John Morton. John, how you doing tonight? I am living that dream, you know, every day. Every day, living that dream. Tonight we got a special guest, a friend of both of ours. And John, you've been lucky because you got to see him in person more recently than I have. I want to welcome to the podcast, uh, Charles Herring. Charles, how you doing? Good. I'm sorry that I'm not getting any closer to the camera today, but glad to be glad to be with you guys with, with sheer <laughs> so Char- fingers. <laughs> Charles is the chief technology officer for a startup called Witfu. Um, we're not going to get too much into what Witfu does in There's this a website. episode. There's a website. You can go to it. It's a security product. It's a really cool security product. Um, but we won't get too much into that because that's 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 for another podcast. What I do... We need uh, the content. Why, why I do like having Charles on this podcast is because um, be, when I first became a sales engineer, my sales rep was Charles. And before he was a sales rep, he was a sales engineer. So he has a lot of perspective that I can, that I think will help in this episode. Uh, in particular. Not just that I was the sales engineer of the year. So it wasn't just like any other sales engineer. I mean, the top, like if you wanted, like, this is what you aspired to be, to be Charles is what you wanted. If only I could touch his him. That's how good it was. Yeah, by the time I'd started there, he was no longer a sales engineer, though. He'd already crossed over to the dark side. He was, uh, yeah. he was a sales guy. You know what's funny about that, Charles? Honestly, real quick on that is uh, I honestly put that in my bio. Technical sales award winner. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how you let people know. You got to let them uh, know. So it's a great way to also message your humility, which is very <laughs> important to let people know that you're really just down to earth and not completely overwhelmed with yourself. It's like a mini King Kong chest pounding. Right? Yeah. There's this, there's those things. What do you say? How do you, how do you market yourself without just saying I'm awesome? And yes, you're lucky to know me. <laughs> I was going to say there, there is something to, to say about branding yourself that you kind of is, is weird as that sort of stuff feels. You almost have to do it. Yeah. You almost have to use words like award winning. Or the way that, you know, we're going to market this podcast is we are the best podcast for sales engineering in the world, right? You're you're basically the malorts of podcasts. There it is. There it is. That's our golden unicorn, Charles. We've been trying to get Malort to sponsor us for years. When that happens, we'll, we'll bang that King Kong chest. You know, if nothing else, they're efficient. They are an efficient... It does the job for sure. That's right. If, if you are, if you it probably does multiple jobs. That's right. If the lead is qualified with Malorts, it will close the deal. Like their sales cycle, super short. Close rate is very high. I was thinking more like, um, you know, bar cleaner, something to clean off the top mm-hmm. of the bar with, uh, yeah. disinfectant for pretty much anything. I mean, that's a, that's a good point. If you're going to have a product, having multiple um, sales motions, sales pitches, very utility. 
And you know, it, when I think of utility, I think of Malort's. Yeah. You think if you want if you want to have a product to fight your dad, Malort, and clean your toilet right. after, Malort. So in our, our last episode, John and I talked about Medic, which was our our acronym of the of the week. Ah! Medic. Um, so I want to slightly revisit that. Uh, the medic framework again stands for metrics, economic buyer, decision criteria, decision process, identify pain and champion. Um, John, I know you still heavily use medic in, uh, in what you do. I, I talk about um, it every day. It seems like, but yes. Yeah. Charles, you don't, you don't do the sales stuff anymore. Um, so you, I don't even know if you still follow the follow structures like medic and med pick. Is that something that no. you use at all? No, I sometimes call a medic, but don't use it in sales cycles. So not not the acronym. No, okay. No. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I'd mentioned that for me, having um, understanding the pain, right? The uh, identifying pain part to me was probably the the most part because if you don't identify pain, there's there's no deal. All right, so that kind of leads us into what I want to talk about today. And that's the sales process or the sales cycle, uh, not necessarily the process because medics more of a framework. I almost think of it as like a checklist that you check the boxes as you go through to make sure that you have these different things. And it's also an informative thing. You want to make sure you know all of this information, how it changes at all the different, different stages of the sales cycle. But Sales is going to go through many cycles, um, starting with lead generation. Lead generation, Charles, you probably have to manage a little bit of this now more so than you did when you worked in sales, because it's more of a like a marketing function almost. It can be. It depends on how you generate them. You know, I think that was one of the challenges that we had certainly at Landcope was what's a quality lead? What's the what does a lead look like that becomes a closed deal? And, you know, as opposed to someone just scanning badges that, you know, they can't buy anything no matter how much they love you, right? There's no pathway um, to success. So, yeah, managing leads, finding quality leads, finding people that have the pain that you have the ability to solve and uh, navigate, navigate it is, it is important. Um, mostly, you know, for us, I, I work through a whole channel model. So, um most of that's pushed out to the to the resale channel at this point, but it is an important point, right? The people need to know you exist, right? The, the leads don't know they can have their i you know their their iPad or iPod on their phone unless yeah. you tell them an iPhone exists, right? So there's some education that goes into lead generation, um, you know, and so how do you reach them? How do you get out there? And it's really hard and any market, but certainly working in software or more specifically cybersecurity, it's very expensive. You might have to pay a hundred dollars for a click ad for one click. Yeah. If, if, if it's that expensive, so fine. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't even guarantee a lead. That's right. just to click on the ad. I, I got to tell you guys this real quick. So uh, I had a buddy of mine, he works for a district attorney in the greater Los Angeles area. He's working on his doctorate at the university of Southern California. And he's explaining to me this problem he has where some folks in his organization, they all should have the same goal, right? X, Y, Z. But some of them, their KPIs are as simple as, you know, we took down this drug den. 
those KPIs don't exactly align to the district attorney's KPIs of did we get prosecution of the greater threat? And that's kind of like what we're talking about here, where marketing says, I brought you guys 100 leads. And to your point, Charles, you know, hey, it was a guy collecting swag and I scanned his badge. How is that a lead? So that sales process does have to be well understood. And, you know, I explained to this guy I was talking to who works for a district attorney and like, it's kind of like level setting those basic criteria. What is what is a lead? Even that alone can cause contention. But once it's understood, everybody kind of works in that direction. You know, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, all of us here are systems engineers. So we sort of understand the system will work in the way that it's designed, regardless right. of what the intent of the system was. And uh, when you look at, you know, pipeline, particularly, you know, a sales force, type of pipeline and people are only being compensated to move it from not existing to 10%. And that's the end of their metric, right? Um, that's what they're going to do. That's how they're comp. They have to find some way, some place, some source that's the least expensive of whatever resource they have, right? Whether that's ad spend time, phone calls, whatever to meet that requirement. And so I've been a long time advocate of, everybody carrying the same out uh, in result yet the leads that you bring in that close that should be what fuels the lead gen right that and so what happens is if you're the person at the very front of that funnel you're thinking all the way through to the end of the funnel and if in great organizations you're thinking all the way through to the renewal right from the very beginning how do i find the people uh, build a structure that's going to bring in the folks that are going to be long-term uh, happy customers and partners instead of how do I get somebody to jump on the demo and then count on magical SEs to turn that into a real thing. Yeah, right? you, you know that we talked about that before, Charles, and that's a, a new thing too, right? So me and Keith bringing out this podcast, churn is a big deal in the SaaS world now versus not to say you're not a refined gentleman, like a, a fine whiskey who knows the days of perpetual hardware, right? And how we used to sell software, but now it's like churn actually matters. So yeah, thinking about not just what is a lead, can I get millions of them to meet my KPIs? But what about renewals? What about the churn? What about upsell? It's important now, you know? Well, and I think yeah. what we're getting to in there is, is Part of the lead generation process. So when I think lead generation, I almost think that's separate from qualification because you have different. Right. Where you get these raw leads in of the stuff scanned right at a at a conference. That's probably the worst example because those generally turn out to be horrible leads. But the way that you're going to find out is those. Uh, SDRs, the sales development reps or inside sales reps or whatever their titles are, the junior rep, sales reps, they're going to go through that entire list of people that are mostly bad leads and they're going to cold call every single one of them and see if they can get five minutes of their time or 30 minutes of their time or whatever, right? They're just trying to inch a couple more seconds. They're trying to take up as much time as they can with you really, right? Until they can book that meeting with an actual field sales rep, the guy yeah. that that holds the ultimate quota. What Charles is describing is that that sales development rep, they're only metric on, do I turn it from cold call to that meeting? And that's 
it, right? So the, their incentive is to to move it from from one point to another and to do no more qualification beyond getting that meeting. Will this person accept the meeting? That's that's the first qualification point. Right. Yeah, I think when you look at lead gen, there's different ways of doing lead gen. You know, we've been talking about what we call field marketing, right? We're at a conference, there's bodies walking by, we're giving them tchotchkes or some reason to scan their badge so that that lead can be collected so that it can be qualified, right? I mean, that's the the, the handoff there. And then, as you mentioned, inbound marketing, right? We can put up click ads, right? They'll end up create a lead because they fill out a form on the website or, you know, download something or white paper, right? So we have these, these inbound, we have outbound, our favorite, let's spam everybody's inbox with why they need to show up, right? So there's different methods, but you know, my favorite uh, method of lead gen is, um, is the vouch or the referral to where there's, there's somebody that's not directly here. Like you need to talk to Keith. Keith's got something in, you know, automating these automating uh, controls that uh, validating controls that you should you should hear. This is exactly what you're talking about. It could be anybody, right? It could be your mother, right? Or it could be the reseller, or it could be someone that pr- provides a soft vouch that's in th- this conversation. And you know, I, I give this example all the time that going door to door and just knocking on doors trying to trying to sell something, it works for a lot of things, but it is really bad for other things. Like, um, you know, if you're selling a pill that solves um, certain kinds of diseases, people are going to be pretty offended that you're knocking on the door asking for, you're selling the best pill for venereal diseases. They're going (laughs) to, you're going to get in trouble, right? You're going to get the door slammed in your face. (laughs) And so there's something to be said. If you know where to go, if you find yourself in that type of situation, you know, know a guy. Even from a business perspective. To that point, Charles, so like when I think about it, right, imagine marketing comes to you and, you, you know, you're an executive and they say, hey, can you give me $30,000 every month and I'm going to cast a wide net and hope something comes in? Or you have a sales rep who says, hey, Charles, I'm going to fly over to Detroit this week, have a meeting with a guy I sold to before. It's going to cost me $2,500. Which one's the better gamble? Right. So even from that sort of decision making process, you know what, you know, it it seems simple, but is it that simple? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot to do with the model that worked or has worked outside of software is in in pharmaceuticals, right? Where you have these pharma reps that are going to the people, the doctors to educate them on the merits to the patient and the merits potentially, hopefully not an outright bribe, but some type of potential merit to a physician. Yeah. Some, some stiff. And so why the physician should create um, an opportunity for uh, for that particular medicine. Yeah. But that whole model is based on getting to the expert that the lead will go to naturally, right? And so that's why inbound marketing can work because they're going to the internet and asking the question. So you want to be in that conversation. That's the, the best case scenario. Yeah. But I mean, I think looking at how we generate leads, where they come from is very important because if it's, you know, we had an event once where we were at a Star Wars thing and we just let anybody register. We had the most random <laughs> people show that. up to, to this thing all from around Chicagoland, didn't <laughs> care what we were, didn't know, didn't, probably didn't know what a computer or cybersecurity was What's at all. What's a wit-foo? <laughs> What's a wit-foo? Tell me about that. There, yeah. No way. 
we got we got a lot of people there. And you know, probably three opportunities, qualifying opportunities out of the hundred twenty people. That's that better than expected, but still, not yeah. worth the investment. Maybe, right? Well, they they, they say there's two people that win a, a sales deal, and this is a good point around qualification, right? The first person to walk away because they know they're going to lose it, and the person mm-hmm. that actually wins, right? Yeah. Because if you don't qualify properly, you're just wasting your time with the next steps. Yeah. And you know, with the pharmaceutical rep, you talked about. Um, getting to that presentation, which is the next phase, right? Once I've determined that my product is valuable to you and that it's worth it for us to spend our time together, then I can present to you. Um, and I know with, we talked, go ahead, Charles. Say, but with pharma, the difference is you're not the person that you're selling to isn't the doctor. Uh, the doctor's selling on your behalf, right? So he's actually the vouch that, you know, you're not paying the doctor for the pill. Oh, the yeah. doctor's gotcha. cutting the script, right? Then that the, because he's doing the vouch, which is, you know, in the common model, that would be the reseller mm-hmm. or, you know, um, uh, some type of consultant. Charles, I, that- I, would, I would almost argue with your sales model, you can apply the same thing to when you're onboarding a reseller. Yeah, right. absolutely. It should, I mean, a reseller should be the vouch, right? And the challenge with the reseller is, it's, if you sign, you got to qualify them, right? They're but but they are going to know the pain of the customer, right? Because the customer they're referring isn't an unknown. It's not someone from the website. It's someone they've done business with, so they'll understand the pain, right? And yeah. we're trying to solve pain, and as engineers, particularly pre-sales engineers, we're looking for the pain. We're looking for how our solution solves the pain, and so if the person that's bringing the lead via a vouch that's bringing credibility. Yeah. It's the, it's the highest thing to get moving, right? We can spin up an AdWords campaign now and have people, you know, clicking. Almost to your point, Keith, they almost get a pass on qualification. We're trusting this person that who they're talking to, right. Is going to buy. We're we're giving them that qualification pass where we don't have to check the box. We're saying as our partner, as our reseller, whatever, you know who you're talking to. What I'm saying, though, is you give the the customer that pass or the customer gives you that pass, right? Mm -hmm. Because they, they trust the partner. But you, as the vendor, have to qualify that partner. Oh, yeah. Are they the right type of person that you want to and that there's a lead generation with that. Right. So you're almost Mm -hmm. going somewhat through the same process, Mm -hmm. but with the partner itself uh, as the vendor to partner instead of vendor to customer. Does that make sense? I I see what you're saying. There is there's a different sales cycle, right? You're selling the idea of selling your stuff to the. Yes, There's there's, there's one pitch you give to the reseller or the doctor in the pharma model. There's another pitch that's delivered to the buyer. Correct. Yes. Um, Which you're teaching the doctor, kind of. Yeah. Go read this. To an extent. The doctor is more useful. To what the law allows. Within boundaries, right? You know, ethically. You would hope. You would hope. So the the next phase then is objection handling. And this is always fun because this is a balance too, because this is another opportunity to do qualification or even disqualification. Sometimes a customer is going to have an objection to what you're selling that you just cannot overcome. What do you do? Start with the why. One thing I say in virtually all parts of business is it's important to know what someone's saying. It's much more important to understand why they're saying it, right? So there's some pain that's being expressed and we need to have 
um, multi-cloud, blah, 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 whatever feature. And so if you just say, we don't have that, sorry, we fail, right? You sort of miss it. But if you realize it's more about um, disaster recovery, right? Or it's about resilience and you have another way to address that why, right? It, that's not the exact way that they felt it was going to be solved. Um, you can back it up. And the other thing is like, sometimes people think they want something until they realize how much it costs, you know? And once you once you get to that, they have these great ideas. I'm like, I would love to have 10 years of retention of, uh, you know, that data too, but They'll cost you. You know, it's my favorite example more. there, Charles. Honestly, my favorite example. So there's three whys I always talk about. Why do anything? Why now? Mm-hmm. And why my solution? Mm-hmm. But if you are selling Ferraris, everybody is going to say, man, that is so cool. I love it. Give me a demo. Let me test drive. I want this thing. But to your point, <laughs> is this realistically what you're going for? Is this solving your pain? You came looking for a minivan. And I'm pitching you a Ferrari. Nobody's going to say no, right? So to your point, those whys actually are very, very important in determining that that sort of thing. And I think objection disqualification. Sometimes you got to get to a no because you definitely don't want to spend time on the unsolvable, right? That doesn't. That's not good for the customer. It's not good for you. And also, you have to deal with the sales rep, uh, not imagining. A solution to an objection, right? Right. And mm-hmm. so controlling the sales rep's idea of what's possible versus yeah, like uh, selling Ferraris. The objection is I don't have the money, and a rep's going to say, "Well, we can get creative." We get creative. <laughs> that's, well, that's actually that's on. You don't have to. So luckily, sales engineers, we don't have to figure out how to solve that problem. That's on the haircut. Yeah. But the uh, um, or sales rep, I shouldn't call them. To me, haircut. to me, that that fits into closing. That's yeah. and that's closing is the one part of the sales process I have nothing to do with. <laughs> but the objections are going to be, you know, generally technical, but they're normally going to come from a place that's just like wrapped in layers of thinking and decision making that may need to be unraveled. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I need to have this and, you know, different data centers. I need to have support for mobile devices and okay, where's this coming from? Like, tell me, walk me through how, how did you guys make that a requirement? How's that an objection mm-hmm. from, from what we have? Cause y'all know, we don't want to go back to development and say, this deal is really important. Build this feature that they want because we can't close it with, and it's a stupid feature, right? right. Potentially a, a product bending feature for a sales cycle is how a lot of, is what causes a lot of products. I think to too, and um, not to bring in cybersecurity bias, but objection handling to me, I always look for two types of buyers and, and there's a motive behind it. So I always, when I'm asking, when they're, if they're throwing objections, I'm trying to figure it out. What is their incentive? What are they trying to get to? Either one, the type of people I like, I call a ladder climber. And that sounds derogatory, but it is, they mean they have some skin in the game. They're trying to establish themselves as like, you know, a thought leader or, you know, trying to grow their own personal brand in the org. Or two, I also like when they have a pain point of finding a, a hack or something. So with those two things, when they're throwing objections at me, I'm trying to understand why. Is it something we can work through? Like to your point, Charles, asking better questions where maybe we just don't understand the problem or is it they're just buying on some sort of bias? So for me, like objection handling is more about 
you know, where are you at? I, I absolutely hate, and this happens the most in cybersecurity. I'm a little bit jaded about it recently. Well, you're not in this quadrant. You don't have these exact criteria that some analyst described as the requirement. If that's the objection, that's probably the weakest excuse I ever heard. You know what I mean? Well, I think what there is, a, there. you know, for me, I think it does fall into, into squadrons or sections that you're describing. Right? We have a technical objection that may or may not be relevant. Right. right? Technologies change, which require us to change how we look at technology. Correct. So that may, may be an education thing. But to your point, sort of what I split what you're describing into two different types of objection. One is uh, the, the fetish objection. I love my tool. I don't want to lose my tool. Your yeah. tool is a threat to my tool, oh, right? 100%. So it's, it's a protective thing. But the more common one is sort of like this traumatic piece. Like, I don't want to be the guy that makes the wrong. There's something that's preventing. Um, there's trauma, some type of institutional trauma mm -hmm. that maybe you're at this call because the guy that I hate told me we needed to look at this thing. <laughs> so now you're dealing with something very untechnical, right? It's not very logical, right. but it's very real. Yeah. You're, you're trying to, and I deal with it all the time. You have to have a rabbi, which is why having an incumbent, like a reselling partner or a technology partner or someone there is going to say, look, as long as this guy likes it, this guy's going to hate it. It's like, okay, we, how do we get past that? Right. Yeah. So you're really working beyond you're you're at a full layer eight objection removal i think i think that's where technical sales we get to be good cop more often than yeah. not in tech sales as se's however you want to label them tech sales we're good cop we're like look you have these objections you know you're upset about it but we're solving this problem and it's cool and you can pitch it and go run with it you know mm -hmm. so i like that about I the tech sales I always used to say I get to be the fun uncle, right? Like, but this guy, he's the one that wants money. Not me. I'm here to Yo, do fun stuff. <laughs> it's this guy over here. He's the <laughs> one who wants to, who's collecting the bill. Yeah. You know, if, if I could, I'd give it to you for free, but he won't let me. That's, that is a good move. The, the other thing you can do is, which I think is very helpful, you know, why, you know, most software sales or tech sales have uh, two person teams, right? The, the haircut and the nerd yeah, and the, yeah. you know, the jock and the nerd in the room mm -hmm. um, is it's a really good opportunity for either seller. So when the, the, the engineer is giving a demo or answering whiteboarding or doing something technical for the sales guy to sort of be reading the room, mm -hmm. right? The, the body language in, re, in response to how the thing's going and being able to interject and, and vice versa, right? To where when one is delivering content, the other one's trying to figure out, okay, what is the problem here, yeah. right? So gathering the intelligence on not just the technical problem, um, but potentially the social and human problems. I mean, when I started doing software sales, I thought humans were um, intellectual thinking animals that sometimes had to deal with emotions. And, you know, I've full 180 at this point in my life where I realized we're just emotional mammals that occasionally fit in a good thought. <laughs> you know, it's the... And so you have to deal with really these emotions, these perceptions, intuition, uh, and, you know, frankly, trauma. We're, as nerds, we become trauma managers of every other tech boyfriend, if you will, um, <laughs> that our customers had. And so had to, well, the, I heard that last time from so-and-so. I don't know that guy. And I don't know yeah. where, you know, what he did to you. But 
I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not so him. there is. I, I still stand by yeah. that too, Charles. People buy from people they like, and you just kind of summarized it very eloquently, right? It, I identify with your trauma. You identify with me, right? And I'm willing to go on this journey with you. And that's all I ever ask for is just open and honest communication in the process. Yeah, I think there, there is a thing, you know, I, I say you can't do math when you stub your toe. So people in pain can't do complicated thought and change. It's just not, we can't do it. There's no way to do it in the current form of our biology. And so, you know, getting someone to a place to where they can be comfortable. Um, and I think it's probably the best part of an, of an engineer is our ability to come in and offer, right? The sales guy is going to have to ask for stuff. I need your budget. I need qualification. I need the paperwork and the NDA or the whatever. He's going to have to ask for stuff. We can come in and offer stuff. You know, what are you working on? You know, here's a, here's a talk I have. Here's a buddy of mine that I think can help with this thing, right? We're uniquely able to offer assistance in what's typically a pretty worn out demographic, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's how we establish trust. And part of that's just pumping the brakes and saying, Hey, I know we all, you know, the system works off money. There's going to be some money exchanged at some point, but that's not my role here. My role here is to identify the pain, uh, help us understand what it looks like. And I mean, I'll tell you best talking about objections. We were, I was, when I was still an engineer at Lanco, I was in a sales pitch at a place, um, in Iowa and had a new sales rep and, these guys are telling me their problems. And I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't buy our stuff. You'd be much happier buying Arbor Networks. And the sales and the sales guy's brand new. And he's looking at me like, all right, he's about to flip it. And I'm like, oh, which way is the airport? And so that was just like, that was it. Like, I, we're not, you're not going to be happy with me if we sell this to you. So I'm not going to sell it to you. We're going to shut it down. And, you know, it ended up, and I said, when you do get here, right, when you are ready and have these kinds of problems, this is when we're going to fit in. But between then and there, still here for you. Right. If I can offer help, we're going to offer help. Right. And so I think that whole part of being human in what's a very traumatic environment, whether it's because of the technology, the fear of the technology, because we are always bringing in something terrifyingly new. And so, you know, no matter you're saying, I'm going to, Hey, I'm going to say something that might make you look great or might get you fired. Let's go get a, let's go get a cup of coffee and talk about it. Right. So, I mean, there has to be some level of trust. Yeah. You know, I want to meet the surgeon before he cuts me open. Right. So yeah, Yeah, the human part's critically important. So we're getting close to the end of the episode here, but there's, well, there's two more parts of the uh, two more stages of the sales cycle. Closing, which we're going to skip because that really does not involve the sales engineer that much. Um, sales engineers, you know, may, there may be a couple last minute items, but when it comes to closing, that's usually a lot of administrative stuff. Some sales negotiation stuff that the sales the quoting, engineer is, is the generally quoting, involved with. The bomb. The bomb is important on the rolling into closing that that's not goofed up, right? That's yeah. sort of critically important because the sales guy is going to want to get whatever the budget is might have a temptation to carve off things sure, to make sure. it fit. So making sure the bombs built so it doesn't blow up a renewal, um, you know, becoming less and less important in the day yeah. of SAS, but still critically important to quote out what needs to be quoted. Right. Yeah, for sure. But then you're right. Then you're like, Hey, haircut. 
Go figure Do it out. Do your job. Yeah, go yeah. go on your commission. Dance, um, monkey, dance. <laughs> but the, the final step is post-sale follow-up. And this, for the most part now, in a lot of SaaS companies, is handled by customer success. However, I still think it's important that the sales engineer stays somewhat involved with the customers that they have because it's going to build that trust. Someday, as a sales engineer, you are going to move to another company. It, we don't live in a world where you stay at the same company for 30 years anymore. It right. just doesn't happen, right? So you're going to move somewhere else. Um, or that customer, that person is going to move to another company that may need your solution, right? You've already established that trust. It's good to maintain and keep that trust. Yeah. Uh, I want to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Charles, you first, then John, then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Yeah, so for me, that was the biggest key to my success. I mean, I started dropping accounts that um, in favor of maintaining uh, existing accounts. And part of that was um, I needed happy customers to get new customers. And when we go back to the beginning of the, this episode on lead generation, by far the best field marketing that I could have was bringing having a user's group meeting, bringing my happy customers into a venue. We do, you know, run through roadmap and talk through use cases and customers present, um, partners present, and we bring in people that are thinking about it. And they're just seeing, going back to the sphere, right? Oh, this thing does work. Or people here that are using it. There's a community of people that are using it um, that are wanting to show up and talk about it. So there, there is... Different markets are different. You know, selling in Chicago is different than selling in St. Louis. But no matter what the market is, people talk. And what yeah. you want them to say is the product's good, but also anytime you need something, you can rely on Charles. I know it sounds too good, but he's he's a real deal. He's the real deal. And so you need people that are uh, not saying, I haven't heard from him since he took the check. Yeah. Right? Um, he will abandon you and yeah. move on. He's, yeah. he's a regular... A case case in yeah, point there, John. What are yeah. what are your what are your thoughts here on? I uh, I recently and it applies to all sales. I think and it's not just tech sales, but all sales. So I recently bought a Ford Lightning earlier this year, three years in the making. Got it. And what I found interesting about the sales rep who sold it to me, he sells cars. He uh he had a cadence of touch points of just checking in after the sale. He's like, it's been one month. How is it? It's been three months. How is it? It's been, you know, six months. How is it? And he has no real authority or power, but him checking in and committing to me, right? And to your point, Charles, he's kind of saying, you know, I'm the kind of guy who can trust. I'm the kind of guy who's going to follow up. I'm going to be here. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to yeah. say, I'm going to take it in. And I really do appreciate that. It's just something unique about still being there and just checking in after the sale. And even if he has no control or authority, he's taking my feedback and acknowledging whatever I'm saying. It's it's just the human element of it to your point, Charles. No, I think yeah. when you said this, I'm, just, I'm cut you off, I know where to go, but the, uh, the thing I was going to say there is it is important. Like we do get caught up as sales engineers on either sales or engineering, but you know, we're all humans living through the course of humanity, right? We're all living lives and we're all just to slow down and be human with somebody is, is, and have and that have a positive impact to the sales and to the engineering and to the rest is huge. So where yeah. we can stop and be humans just for human sake, um, yeah. it's certainly worth it. Yeah. So I think everybody agrees post sales follow up, not just for customer success. 
as a sales engineer, you should still have some continuing involvement with the people that have paid your commissions. Uh, Charles, you've been a great guest to have. Look forward to having you again on the next episode, which we're going to record here, but you guys won't get to hear that for another week. Uh, in that episode, we're going to talk about um, identifying coaches, champions, and economic buyers. I can't wait to hear Charles' input on that. Again, thanks uh, for tuning in. You can get more of us by going to demogodspod.com. Uh, you can also email us at demogodspod at gmail.com. Get us wherever podcasts are available. We're also on YouTube. Check us out. Charles, John, it's been uh, great talking with you guys for this episode, and I look forward to hearing more from you next week on Altar of the Demogods. Gods.